Made Visible is a podcast that gives a voice to people with invisible illnesses. There's no blueprint about how to live with an invisible illness or how to be there for someone who has one. We're here to help people feel less alone as they strive to create a normal life and to create an awareness of how we can be supportive of people who seem fine but aren't. Hey guys, it's your host, Harper. I'm so excited that you're tuning in to the Made Visible podcast. We have a great guest today on the show, Christina Blacken. Christina Blacken is a strategist, storyteller, and founder of the NewQuo.com, a platform and consultancy on a mission to flip the status quo through storytelling. Christina helps people and organizations transform the soul of their ideas into powerful stories that cause change and move people to action. Throughout her eight-year career, she's seen the power of stories for inspiring action, including motivating 300,000 people to volunteer on social issues through cause marketing projects she worked on to securing 5.6 million in profits for a variety of companies and teams she's worked for while crafting stories that connect them to the communities they care about. You can check out her work in L.com, Cosmo Magazine, Marie Claire, The Huffington Post, Mogul.com, Attention.com, and Tribe.com, among other outlets. As a Utah native and New York City resident for the past nine years, she knows far more uses for Jell-O than she'd like to admit. Now let's welcome Christina. Christina Blacken and I met through a mutual friend several years ago. She was looking to make a career change, and I was happily planning events for a company before I started my business. She began volunteering for some of the events that we were producing, and we've stayed in touch throughout the years. I'm very, very, very excited to have Christina here today. Welcome to Made Visible, Christina. Hey, happy to be here. Yay, yay, yay. So to get started, I would love if you would just share a bit on who you are, where you live, and what you do. Absolutely. So I'm Christina Blacken, obviously. Um, I live in New York City, and I am focused on storytelling for change, which is really relevant and great for this conversation today because... So many of our narratives, you know, really shape our journeys, whether it's health or our career or our relationships. And so I help people and organizations use storytelling to change whatever problem they're dealing with, whether it's diversity and inclusion or their creativity or even their leadership and empowerment. So I'm so excited to be here and just to talk about health because this is this is a huge topic and a huge issue that so many of us deal with, especially women and we need to talk about the stories around this for sure. Absolutely. And so how did you get into storytelling? I kind of stumbled upon it. I've always been a person that was drawn to creating and writing. And then as I got older, I discovered how powerful the written word is, especially with certain books that I fell in love with, like Invisible Man or, you know, To Kill a Mockingbird and seeing how much a story can shape people's perspectives and opinions about really big social issues. So I was like, I could do that. I could get into that. Like, it's just taking your thoughts and putting them on a page. And they're sort of permanently there and people can access them forever. Like, how dope is that? So I went into um, the law world because I thought I would be doing storytelling through the law and changing the world one legal brief at a time. And when I discovered I hated hierarchy and I hated sort of the corporate rat race, I went into media and publishing and that's where I've ended up now, where essentially I've built different campaigns and have really seen the power of shaping a message and how it can influence and impact somebody's behavior. I love it. I mean, I think what's so amazing about what you do is really helping people 
craft their story for change is so necessary. And with technology, there's so many different ways of getting it out there with social media and all that. So really cool what you're up to and obviously something I'm very interested in. Um, Let's dig into more health-related stuff, which is what we're here to talk about. Um, Tell me a little bit about the process of getting to your diagnosis. How much time you got? (laughs) Well, I would say my journey started probably right out of college because I was always one of those individuals who was fairly active as a kid. I was active in high school and was a cheerleader um, and had been okay when it came to weight and health. But when I got into college, I was really struggling with my weight and probably because binge drinking, staying up all night, eating fried chicken tenders doesn't make for like great health or great weight. So when I got out of college, I really wanted to sort of take control of my health and my eating and just feeling better and feeling like I had not so much fluctuation in what was going on with my weight. So it was really like a weight driven journey to begin with. And so I started experimenting and reading a lot about nutrition because I was raised in a family that had an okay relationship with food. Like we didn't eat a ton of junk or a ton of sugar or indulge a lot, but we also ate a lot of processed food. And that was based out of convenience and being poor, you know, like it was really Mm -hmm. out of necessity versus us just wanting to, you know, not eat healthfully. So I started to really dive deeper into what nutrition was and what it does in the body and biology and stumbled into the Netflix black hole of all the documentaries that are kind of outing the food industry and the problems of it and, from the chemical things that can be in your body to the issues of factory farming and all of that. So I, when I got down into that hole, I was like, oh, my God, there's so much information and so many things I didn't know growing up that I have to unlearn. And so I started unlearning, you know, even around just the kinds of things I was eating on a day-to-day basis. And from there, I kind of experimented with lots of different eating styles. Like at one point, I was vegetarian. And then I was a vegan and then I tried paleo and um, with each iteration and each sort of experimentation, I learned different things about my body. Then in about 2015, I went to a doctor for just a standard checkup. I think I was like right in the middle of getting some blood work done. And I got a call a couple of days later one afternoon and they had left me a voicemail. And on the voicemail, they're like, hey, we just wanted to let you know that your blood sugar is very high for your age and we think you're pre-diabetic. Mm-hmm. So we just wanted to give you a warning now because it's, you know, something that doesn't seem quite normal for somebody your age. I think at that time, if I'm doing my math right, it was like 26, 27. And I was shocked because at the time I was doing the smoothies and my green juice every day. Wow. Yeah. Healthy. Um, and I told my friends, I remember I went home dumbfounded and I was living with two friends at the time in an apartment, you know, in New York City. And they were like, girl, you got prediabetes? Like, I should have prediabetes. Like, I had a friend that drank Coca-Cola every day religiously. Oh, wow. And she was a toothpick and like 100 pounds soaking wet. Um, so I was shocked. And it was kind of a wake-up call because I'm like, something's not right here. Even though I feel like I'm doing the right things, my body is saying, you need to change something. Something's wrong. So from there, I started to just continue to dig. And I noticed that every couple of months, I'd have a huge fluctuation in weight, like a 20-pound gain in a month and a half, two months, with little to no you know, lifestyle change, which was really shocking. So every time I'd go back to the doctor, I'd be like, hey, you know, my weight just kind of blew up. I'm doing the same things. I'm 
you know, working out and okay, I'm out. I'm like eating the same things I've always eaten. What's going on? They would tell me, oh, it's stress or, oh, you know, you're probably fine. Or they would check all my vitals and they would say everything was fine. And I just knew something wasn't. I don't think it's normal to gain 20 pounds in a month or something with no explanation. There's something going on there. Right. And so every time I would get a no or every time I would get you're, you're fine, I essentially would just continue pushing because I had a feeling that something else was wrong. So I finally got so frustrated and so fed up that I put out an ask in our networking group that we're both part of, Dreamers and Doers, which is an incredible resource. And I was like, hey, you know, I've been struggling. Um, I'm gaining weight. And I had a, a laundry list of symptoms at that point. I had acne issues. I had acid reflux. I had stomach bloating. I had constant IBS, like, you know, TMI, diarrhea. I could barely keep it together. I was a walking mess. And when I posted in the group, I said, hey, I'm having these issues. Do you have a referral to a holistic doctor? I got so many responses with women, one, experiencing the same thing of like, yeah, I've been told I'm fine and I have all these weird issues and I had to go outside of conventional medicine to find an answer. Um, And two, I got a specific name, um, Victoria Albina, who's an incredible holistic practitioner. And I reached out to her and she kind of put me on the path of, testing that I had never done before and so I did a ton of gut testing essentially to see what was going on in that digestive tract because that was really kind of the core place and I think it's a place that more research is being done on in terms of how your digestive health really affects the rest of your body and your hormones and all of that um but I got real intimate with myself because I had to do a stool test which is like literally have to be like in your own poop, which I'm like, I never want to be this intimate with myself ever again. <laughs> um, but I got so many great insights. Like I finally had clarity because it's hard to solve a problem if you don't know what it is. And that is half the battle with any health issue is just getting cleared on eat, clarity on what the root cause is, not just putting a bandaid on the symptoms totally. or taking a whole bunch of medicine, but really getting to the root of what the issue is. So she came back to me with the results after I did my testing and she was like, okay, your gut health is kind of like a dinner party that no one came to. Like you invited everybody and they all kind of decided to not show wow, up yeah. because everything that's supposed to be happening in there is off. Like out of the, I think it was eight strands of a healthy bacteria only had two left. And I had an overgrowth of Klebsiella, which is a pretty icky bacteria essentially when it overgrows, you know, it can cause so many issues and inflammation and all the issues I was having. So she put me on a plan where essentially I had to cut a ton of inflammatory foods out and take a ton of reparative supplements to sort of repair my digestive health and the gut tract there. And I finally felt like I was getting back into control. Um, My weight isn't still exactly where I want it to be, but it's leveled out, which is the first time. I I pretty much gained 20 pounds a year every year for the last three or four years. And last year was the first year I didn't gain a pound when that was like, wow, thank God. you was just doing that. I'm like, this is incredible. This is amazing. And then my blood sugar. So I was at 6.1 and you become diabetic typically at 6.4. Wow. And the last time I got testing done, they said I was at a 5.7. So I'm almost out of the red. For That's incredible. Yeah. And it was all lifestyle changes. Wow. So a few questions for you. First of all, thank you for sharing all that, especially those gross details that we have to get into when it comes to some of this health stuff, because it's not all glamorous. That is for sure. Um, One of the questions I have for you is what documentaries on Netflix were most informative to you? 
Oh my gosh. Well, um, Forks Over Knives was pretty informative. That's a, one of their biggest ones that's very popular. Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead is pretty, you know, controversial because the guy goes on this insane, like, processed food diet for a month and you can kind of see what happens. And then he goes on, like, a juice, an insane juice cleanse, I think. Or maybe I'm confusing the two. I think Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead is the guy goes on an extreme juice cleanse for, like, two months and loses all this weight. Um, and this is the thing I also learned, which is interesting. I feel like in the health arena, everything is very black and white. Yes. And there's not enough gray. And I, I learned over time that everyone's bodies are very different. So an example, because I'm pre-diabetic, I have a particular sensitivity to carbohydrates and to essentially controlling my blood sugar, which adds another factor in, say, if you're going to be vegan or vegetarian, if you are reducing the amount of animal products you're eating, you typically have to bulk up your calories with carbohydrates. It's almost There's almost no way to avoid it. And so when I was eating on vegan and vegetarian plans, um, I would always have all these headaches. And I realized that it was because my blood sugar was kind of out of control. Now, I'm not an expert, obviously. I mean, I'm sure there are probably people who'd be like, well, you can absolutely eat low carb and also eat vegan and vegetarian. You, you definitely can. It's just extremely challenging. Um, so that's something to think about where what applies to your body and what feel good, feels good for your body can be very different than someone else. And I realized that there's not a one size fits all label, even the idea of having to eat the same way every single day. Like most of the week I eat pretty low carb to control my blood sugar and, you know, obviously eat healthful vegetables and all of that. But then on the weekends I'll eat a bit more carbohydrates because I'm like, you know, you need a balance. Um, and I still eat pretty, you know, gluten-free. I eat very little dairy, just the inflammatory stuff that was really causing digestive issues for me, but I'm not dogmatic about it. I'm not like, I will never, ever, you know, eat rice again, right. even though I probably shouldn't eat rice often. But if I eat rice, once a week or French fries once a week or once every two weeks. It's not the end of the world. It's really the average of everything. So that was, you know, I'm rambling, but it's sort of the lesson I learned is like this crazy dogmatic black and white thinking can be really dangerous. And I think some of the documentaries, unfortunately, that I was watching at the time is very hell bent on. There is only one way, one correct way that applies to everyone. And if you deviate from that, you're failing. And that's just not useful or helpful for people's very specific and personal relationships with food and also the, their specific genetic disposition or issues. Totally. Everyone's body is completely different. Even people that have the same conditions and maybe similar symptoms doesn't mean that their body and their makeup is the same. So it's really challenging to create a one size fits all plan for every different patient and what they're going through. Um, yeah. you mentioned your different lifestyle changes that you've made and it mostly sounds diet related. Um, how do people around you, friends, family, etc., handle your lifestyle changes and maybe your diet changes when maybe they're not making them? At first it was a little shocking to people. I think I kind of got this reputation of, oh, she's trying something new. You know, every couple of months they'd be like, what are you now? Or like, what can you eat? What can you not eat? Um, but then I slowly started to influence people, especially my family. I remember the first time I went back home. So I usually go back to Utah, which is my home state, for the holidays to visit my family. And I was making green smoothies at the time. And I was, like, using the blender and putting all these vegetables in there and, like, a fruit. 
And my mom comes out and she's like, what is that? Like, what are you making at this green sludge? It looks toxic. I'm like, what is going on? It looks on? toxic. And I'm like, yeah, you know, this is, and I explained to her what it was and why it's more healthful and it's a, you know, faster, easier way to get your veggies in. And she was a little skeptical. She was never extremely resistant to it. And I know some people get that reaction where people try to force them to not make the change. She was just like, hmm piqued curiosity and a little bit of confusion and then a couple months later I saw that she had gotten herself a blender and was making her own smoothies I'm like oh you so you make smoothies now oh, I'm like oh you I love you, it you drink smoothies so it was always that where kind of they would pick little things up here and there and um, be influenced by it and my friends as well I remember you know the friends I talked about that were like you're pre-diabetic I influenced them a lot because there's also this misconception about uh, health and weight because I'm a curvier person I'm like a little over 200 pounds right now, but I'm a pretty like muscular, thick person and, you know, can do high intensity interval training and that kind of thing. But I'm not a skinny person. And I remember there's a sort of idea that if you're skinny, you're naturally immediately perceived as healthy. And some of my skinniest, smallest friends were extremely internally unhealthy. I mean, if you open them up, they probably pull a junk and like. Their mineral deficiencies are, you know, at an astronomical rate and they feel tired all the time. And so a lot of those friends were just really influenced significantly to like cut down their sugar levels, to eat more vegetables, to work out in general. Um, so I think I was kind of influencing people around me because they could see I was doing it out of frustration where I was like, I don't feel well. Yeah. My health is all over the place. I feel like this is the only way I can kind of gain some control. And they'd kind of be like, huh. And I'm also a decent cook. I don't like to cook, but I like to eat. So I will just experiment and make things. And people would be like, damn, that's good. Oh, and it's gluten-free or, oh, it's dairy-free. And so I think I influence people a lot with just, like, making things and tricking them into eating them. Like, surprise, like, there's no bread in that. You know? <laughs> I love that. So, so you didn't really have to lecture them in any way. It was more of, you know, practicing what you preach and letting them, you know, recognize what the benefits were and that things can still taste good, even if they're healthy. Exactly. Yeah. I did a little bit of education. I think I, you know, recommended books and would send documentaries if people had questions. And at certain points I lost decent, decent amounts of weight too, which was interesting. It would kind of go back and forth. Like I'd lose 20 pounds and people would be like, wow, you know, you're looking great. How'd you do it? Um, for a while I even thought about being a health coach, which is interesting because I was getting a lot of questions about it. And I, at one point, was, like, coaching a couple of people who just asked me to, you know, direct them and help them. So I would send them information and tips and guidance. But I decided not to go down that path. So it was sort of if they asked for the information and wanted it, I would be happy to direct them. But I didn't get too much pushback. I think the only times that would happen here and there is if we were going to go out to eat and I would kind of, you know, make recommendations about certain restaurants. Because certain restaurants are very difficult in terms of, totally. like food sensitivities, especially because I'm, I've always kind of struggled with dairy since getting out of high school. I mean, I am a public menace if I eat some ice cream, like it's just the truth. So some places they just don't accommodate that. And I think people will be like, okay, well, we can't go there because Christina's going to be gassy. Oh, you know, that kind of thing. So well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there'd be a little bit of that, like, oh, there she goes. Or a little bit, I think maybe boy cried wolf with me and not realizing that the things I'm saying isn't just for me to be difficult. It's really because I don't feel well. Like I'll eat something and immediately have a reaction. Or I used to get stomach, like bloating where I'd look like I was pregnant and my stomach would be hard as a rock. 
And I would go out to eat and, you know, I would show my friends after. I'm like, you see my stomach? I told you. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> it's like, I'm not making yeah. this up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. I mean, I, I, my friends really rely on me at this point to make reservations for restaurants. And they know that I'll come up with a place that's Harper friendly. And then there's things for them to eat. But there have been many times over the years that I've changed diets and maybe I go gluten-free for a period or vegan or I'm not drinking or whatever it may be. And no one can really navigate what that looks like. They're like, so you're not eating this? And I'm like, no, I'm giving this a shot. And then the next time we have a meal and I'm eating it, they're like, wait, I thought you were gluten-free. And it's like, there's no rule to this. I'm creating my own rules. There's a lot of trial and error. I'm figuring out what works for me and what doesn't. And I think it's, you know, letting go of whatever judgment you think that people are making about you because it's not serving you well. Um, and it's not really helpful for anyone to have those conversations. It's really just, this is what I'm dealing with. Here's, you know, if you want to learn more, I'm happy to talk about it. But these are the choices that I'm making for my health. Absolutely. I think you make a good point about shaming when you go off of the plan. Because there's a lot of that where people want to police you like, oh, you're eating that thing. I thought you said you can't like there's absolutely no time. And I think having that idea isn't helpful because it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Most of the time now, you know, this past year, I've pretty much completely given up gluten just because I feel really horrible after eating it. I get stomach pain and acid reflux. But every once in a while, I might have it if it's because it's there's an inconvenience happening or, you know, I'm like, oh, I, I don't want to be left out. So I might have it once in a blue moon. Um, but that doesn't mean that I want to eat gluten all the time. It's just like, all right, you know, I know the consequences of this choice. Totally. It's okay every once in a while to have it if I absolutely need it. But I've definitely had that kind of response from friends and family where it's like, I thought you didn't eat that anymore. And, you know, how dare you do something different? And I think also, too, that's why people don't see lifestyle changes as lifestyle. They see it as diet, which is it never works because you have to do something that you want to do day in and day out. And the sort of rigidity around never indulging is also unhealthy because the idea isn't that you can never eat more indulgent things or to celebrate with food. You just have to be a little bit more planful and it's supposed to be what it's called a treat. So it's not every day, but that doesn't mean never. I mean, this idea of like you can never eat this thing or even with dairy, I still eat cheese here and there. Do I eat it every day? No. Do I have it sometimes? every once in a while, a little bit of cheese in this or that. Absolutely. And I, I know kind of now from experimentation, which you have to do what works, but that experimentation is very confusing to people. Cause I would tell people oh, I'm trying it. Cause I just like with gluten, I didn't know if I had an intolerance or not. And you can't really know until you cut it out, then reintroduce it and see what happens. So that experimentation is something that's still really confusing to a lot of people when it comes to food. And it's so necessary. So you can take real information about your body and base it off of your true genuine reactions versus just generic information on an internet page. Oh, for sure. And I think that the big word for me is deprivation and not not wanting to not wanting to feel like I'm depriving myself. You know, pasta is a big thing for me and I never want to give it up, but I recognize that I never feel so great when I eat it. So it's eating it in special occasions and at places that I know that it's fresh and all that kind of stuff, but deprivation for me is the big thing that I never want to get to that point of feeling like I'm depriving myself of foods. Absolutely. So a question I have for you is, have you connected 
with other people or found communities of people who have similar conditions to yours or going through some of this dietary and lifestyle changes that you've made that have been helpful for you? You know, interestingly, it's been a pretty solo journey, which I think looking back now has been difficult because it's hard for people who don't experience these things to even relate. Like even my boyfriend, who I love dearly, has had struggles with understanding why I would be like, I'm having really bad acid reflux right now, or I'd have like a stomach issue and he would feel badly. He would have a hard time understanding it. And I think as he's seen my reactions and ups and downs with certain foods um, or like flare ups really, which is what it feels like he is a little bit better with it. But I think having people who have experienced it themselves within their body can, you know, be so much more supportive. And I just didn't really have that. I, I probably have mostly found it through asking pretty much other women networks, like, hey, where have you gone to get information and insight? And then we would kind of share horror stories and like war stories about what we had to do and what we've tried. Um, everybody can relate to what I almost think every single woman on the planet and obviously men relate to weight issues. And so that's where I found the most sort of reciprocity and relatability with a lot of people because people typically seek out health stuff for weight first, even though that can also be problematic. Um, and that's probably where I saw the most like people understanding and being like, yeah, I get it. Like I randomly gained 15 pounds as well. And this is what I'm trying to do. Or I've always felt like I couldn't control my weight and felt out of control with it. Now I'm trying to readjust my relationship with my weight. So that's something I'm thinking about more is just talking to more people about especially pre-diabetes, I think there's a lot of misconceptions around blood sugar and low-carb eating. When I would talk to people about it, people are like, low-carb eating is horrible for you and it's dangerous. I'm like, well, it's it's actually really, really, really helpful for so many people with metabolic issues and so many people with um, carbohydrate sensitivity. And you can have a genetic disposition to those things. doesn't mean it's fatalistic, but like in my family, almost every woman that's my grandmother and her sisters and their parents were diabetic and also hypothyroid, which is an autoimmune issue. And usually those issues are expressed through environment. So it doesn't mean you are destined to get it, but you have a propensity and you should be cautious of what foods. And obviously if you have a sensitivity or resistance to carbohydrates and you build up insulin resistance, you have to watch the carbs you're eating. That's just straight up. That's the truth of it. The only thing that's ever reversed any of my prediabetes is really being planful and mindful of carbs. That doesn't mean zero carbs, no carbs. It just means strategic, smart choices when it comes to carbohydrates and not focusing so much of my eating on them. And I grew up eating so many processed carbs, like macaroni and cheese out the box, (laughs) hamburger helper out the box, like casseroles. It was all carb-based because it's cheap, it's fast, it's easy. And so many people eat heavy carb-written food plans, which almost every food plan, if you put them all on a a table, if you put veganism, vegetarian, paleo, whatever, almost all of them emphasize reducing processed grains. Every single one of them are like, reduce that in your diet, increase your, you know, healthful vegetables, get good amounts of proteins and fats, regardless if you get it from animals or not, and make sure you have a balance versus... 75% 75% of your diet being focused on bread and rice and pitas and whatever, and everything else just gets thrown in. There's so many studies about how unhealthful it is and how much damage it does to your gut and your, your hormones and all, all that other stuff. So I think my main thing now is sort of just 
finding more people who can relate to and understand that sort of genetic struggle of fighting against autoimmune disease where it's not, it doesn't have to happen, but you have to be really cautious and really diligent to fight it. Cause I was on actually this last year when I got my last test done, I had gone to get some blood work just to see where my insulin was. And they tested my actual insulin in my blood. Cause A1C is just the average of your insulin over three months, I think right. um, your blood sugar levels, not your insulin, your blood sugar levels. Um, my insulin level though, when I got it tested in March, it was at 117 on a scale that topped out at 17. So my insulin was 10 times higher than the average person. And when I was talking to my doctor, she was like, you know, everywhere else on your health metrics, you're actually doing really well. But this, your insulin being this high is very concerning. I'm only 30 years old. And she was like, because I told her, I'm like, well, I did eat breakfast this morning. You're not supposed to eat before a blood test. So little side note to listeners, don't eat before you take a blood test. But she was like, she said, even if you ate, that is a very strange jump to have 10 times the level of the top level of insulin on a, on a scale, even after eating. So she was like, you know, you just have to watch it. Cause I, for various reasons, history, environment, genetics, have a disposition to really struggling with insulin being used properly in my body. Doesn't mean I have to get diabetes. No, but I've got to be diligent. So I'm not like 35 and have full blown diabetes. So that's really wild. Really, really wild. I mean, and it sounds like you're really diligent already. Um, I guess the question that I have for you is, on an emotional level, how does it feel going into those blood tests, especially when you know you've been taking care of your health and eating properly and all that? How does it feel to get these results? What does that do for you emotionally? Sometimes it could be deflating and frustrating, especially with the weight stuff. I have to remind myself that you're going to have some good days, you're going to have some bad days, and to look at the bigger picture and also look at the wins because changing your relationship and your story with food is so difficult because there's so many emotional, even like the flavor profiles that you like are set from when you're a kid. Oh, like the things that your parents fed you. So like certain flavor profiles that I like, I'm realizing I'm like, oh, I have to reimagine these. I have to reimagine my entire relationship with cooking with what should be on a plate, with what ingredients go together, solely because the first, you know, 21 years of my life was spent eating a very specific way. So I have to give myself a little bit of space to be like, girl, you've only been trying to change this for maybe one third of your entire life. Like you're trying to undo three quarters of your entire life. And it's not going to happen overnight. Like there's so many other wins. And especially when you realize that you've generated new habits that have stuck, like with the dairy stuff, I ate dairy at almost every meal until I was in like my early twenties. And I don't do that at all anymore. And that's a huge change. That's a huge to go from change. Like- that's a really big thing to celebrate because I'm sure from what you've said, you feel better. I feel so much better. And it's kind of miraculous how powerful the body is when it comes to healing. I think about the fact that you can dramatically change your blood work in a couple of months, truly, just from like your lifestyle of eating. And you may have actually been feeding your body the wrong thing for a majority of your life. And your body's like, thank you, Jesus. You know, it's like, thank you that you did this. And it's starting to feel better just in a few months. And I think you can see those tiny little windows of like, your body wants to heal. And that's why these things 
take some time, but it's also pretty powerful that the body can even undo so much damage that might be happening and do it in a way that you can still feel healthful and continue to just like improve because it would be crazy if it was irreversible, right? There's a lot of things that actually are fairly reversible and preventable. And that's why they say, well, eat healthy. They don't give much information about it, but there's so many things the body can do that we just take for granted and we don't appreciate. And that's something I have to remind myself of all the time. I think a big part of it is also the concept of recognizing when you eat something that's not so healthy and that your body rejects, that it's a good reminder because your body totally gives you those signs and you recognize like after you eat something and you're like, I don't feel so great or you have some level of a reaction, you go, okay, now I know. And I know that sometimes it's worth it or it's so enjoyable to eat, but long-term I can't be eating this. And your body really, really, really tells you this is not good for you. And I think that's huge. You mentioned small wins and I think it's such a huge thing to think about when it comes to health. How do you celebrate your small wins? I think I celebrate just by telling people <laughs> like, yo, like when I got my blood work back, I was telling everybody when I got that um, 5.7, cause I'm still pre-diabetic, yeah. but it's a, it's a significant improvement. So I was like, look, I shifted the needle. Like I felt like having that control and showing other people that you can reverse things that feel irreversible, even in small steps is a really exciting way to celebrate. Um, I think the other thing too, is to still make sure I'm, doing some treats, but obviously making like treats that are more in line with my own eating style. So the, the other day, actually this week, um, cause I've been cooking a lot more than I used to. And I loved chicken pot pie growing up. I obviously can't eat like regular chicken pot pie anymore for all the reasons, but I was like, man, I miss it. I wonder if I could make like a keto version or gluten-free version. And so I found one and created these cute little ramekin chicken pot pies that are gluten-free and low carb and all of that. And my boyfriend, who doesn't have any autoimmune issues, he ate it. He was like, babe, this is the best chicken pot pie ever. He's like, this is what, what is in this? No way. Like, it's just fun to celebrate and also show other people that, you know, you can change. And it doesn't mean that you have to be completely cut off from the celebratory fun. Because food is fun. You know, food is culture. Food is, you know, self-expression. There's so many other things with food. You could still be healthful, but also be a way to celebrate like your culture, your heritage, your, you know, the memories of growing up. Like chicken pot pie is a big memory for me because my mom used to make them for us. Like she would make these cute little chicken pot pies and put all this time into it. We'd sit around and, and eat them together. And, you know, not being able to make the traditional recipe of that is fine, but I could still sort of celebrate and be like, yeah, I could still continue certain traditions and do certain things on my own terms in my own way without having to sacrifice. And I think that's kind of a, a nice way to, to celebrate, to make those little things that are, are treats and are still in line with like the health plan that you have. I love that so much. We're definitely, you need to send me that recipe so we can put it into the show notes and share it with the audience. Cause I think they would oh, love absolutely. that. For sure. So if one of our listeners was recently diagnosed as pre-diabetic, what advice would you give them? My advice would be to realize that it's just a warning. It's not an actual diagnosis. It just means you are on the path to diabetes. Get off that path. You know, it's like step to the other side. Like you can walk into the light. So I would see that more as a way, as a blessing in the sense that you are being able to take control of your health 
before it's to the point where it's too late. And obviously people who are listening to the podcast who have diabetes, it is a livable thing. It's not like it's a fatalistic, your world ends sort of situation, but it definitely makes life more challenging. So if you can avoid not having diabetes, you should do steps necessary. And the first really truly is to reevaluate your relationship with carbohydrates and sugar. They're the two culprits for insulin instability and for insulin resistance. So really assessing what's my relationship with grains, for instance, do I, could I feel a little bit better if I substitute grains out with more starchy vegetables, like a plantain or a sweet potato, how would that feel? So doing swaps first and then eating less of that. Like if I eat just one dense carb a day and eat mostly higher fat and protein and veggie, how will I feel? And I think being open to that is important when you have something that your body is saying, hey, we can't handle this. And this is not the right kind of ratio that we need. You need to listen to it. And I, I feel like I, I went through a phase where I felt like it was unfair. I was like, it's unfair that I have to be so restrictive and I'm still like overweight and I'm doing all these things. And it's like, you know, everyone's got their stuff. Every person, everybody, regardless of their body size, has their things. And so you just have to kind of see it as it's just a different approach. It doesn't mean it has to be restrictive and you're cut off and you're having to do things no one else has to do because everyone's got something, you know, it's like, I know some friends who are like super sensitive to fats, for instance, and they couldn't eat a high fat diet because they just don't feel well. Like there's just certain things that I feel fine. I feel great. And they eat something and they're like, Oh my God, like I'm having, you know, stomach weird things. So I think if someone's pre-diabetic being open to, trying something new, reevaluating the relationship with pretty high carby, sugary things, and sort of going from there, because that's really how you can take a lot of control back. It's not like cutting everything out and counting all your calories. It's really thinking about the biology of your body and what it's processing and what it needs. And also supplementation is actually not talked about enough because so many of us have mineral deficiencies for various reasons. Most of us just don't eat enough vegetables in a day. A lot of our vegetables are not at their best because the soil isn't the greatest or it's not organic or whatever. And supplementation can be helpful because if you don't have the right minerals, how can your body do the things it needs to do? Like that's the core functions of fun like the body actually working and your cells working and your brain working and everything running smoothly. It's like trying to drive a car with no with no fuel in it. And it's crazy to me that people are like you need vitamins and minerals. I'm like, if you don't want to die, yes. Like you have to have these things every day. Um, so just even getting a good multivitamin can be huge, like a good probiotic, a good multivitamin, and just starting to do that regularly because the body needs some ammo to heal itself in the fight. And so many of us, we're like, we really ask a lot of our bodies and then we wonder why we feel horrible. We're like, I don't sleep. <laughs> I don't drink enough water. I don't put nothing nutritious up in here that I could use to rebuild things happening. And then I'm running on, you know, 12 hour days. Like, of course you're going to feel horrible. Like you're asking your body to do a lot. So I think that's a big thing people should think about too. That's really, really helpful. I mean, I think that you said a lot in this episode about how people can observe what's going on with their body, what's working, what's not working, the types of lifestyle changes that they need to make and that they don't have to deprive themselves. You can still enjoy food and enjoy the types of things that you grew up on. But it doesn't have to be, you know, making massive sacrifices that make you feel like you can't enjoy your life anymore. You can still be a happy person while you're living more healthfully. 
Absolutely. I think we don't talk enough about the emotional attachment we have with food. And there's always this thing where if you feel like you can never have certain things again, it's really hard to actually stick with it. So if you can find substitutes, like I love pizza. I don't eat it often, but being able to find gluten-free options or making my own keto pizzas has really excited me because I'm like, it doesn't mean I can never have that food again. Because I think this idea, like you said, deprivation feels so horrible because it's like a punishment. Totally. Yeah. Not only do I have this health issue, now I have to punish myself for this unplanned health issue just so I'll feel better. And I used to do that. I'd be like, nothing, like no bad things. And it doesn't work because you still need to have those moments where you feel like, okay, I can eat this thing. It's a fun, enjoyable thing. And one thing I've learned too, if you're going to indulge, make it worth it. Like there have been times when I've been like, I'm going to eat this thing. And it was like, not great quality. It didn't taste great. I'm like, that wasn't even worth totally. it. That, oh God, worth I have like, that all the time. Yeah. I'm like, just actually make it worth it and make it mindful where you plan it, where you're like, okay, this weekend I'm going to treat myself to a burger and fries and I'm going to go to my favorite burger place, you know, with a couple of people I really enjoy and like just sit down and have a, a good night. And I think when you approach it like that, then it's not this all or nothing. I also think too, making cooking more exciting, like an example is it doesn't have to be super elaborate, but you could still have like fun with flavor profiles. So like one thing I've been trying is different types of lettuce wraps because I don't love eating salads. Like salad doesn't always mean healthy. First of all, I think the idea that you have to just eat salad to be healthy. So true. But I'll do lettuce wraps just to be like quick and easy and still get some of those greens in. And I was doing like a Thai inspired one. And it was just very simple. It was like ground turkey and a couple of different ingredients like um, sweet chili sauce and soy sauce and whatever. And I made this really delicious peanut sauce. And the peanut sauce was actually very easy to make. But there was something about it that felt really decadent. So I would look forward to eating this meal because I put this beautiful kind of like delicious thick peanut sauce on my, you know, lettuce wraps. And I felt like I was indulging, but still treating myself well. And I think finding that balance in your day to day is important. So you're not like, can't wait to eat this crusty dry, you know, chicken and this crusty dry broccoli. It's like, no, you can add a little something, you know, put different seasonings, try different experimental things from different cultures um, and not feel like you have to punish yourself to eat healthy. You can still eat healthy and have flavor and have, exciting varieties of ingredients and herbs and stuff in it if you just take some time to like experiment i think once we approach health that way then lots of people won't see this huge divide between eating for just like to eat for fun and then eating for health which a lot of the time feels like eating in punishment (laughs) totally i can totally relate to that as a kid i really ate simple foods like pasta with one little dollop of tomato sauce no chunks of tomato and was such a simple eater. And then a few years ago, I learned to cook. And I just started making my own concoctions in the kitchen. And to your point, spices go a really long way. There are so many different things that you can add that are healthy and good for you and have certain, you know, uh, health benefits that are really delicious. And I think it's just playing around in the kitchen. And for people who need to follow recipes, there's plenty of cookbooks and blogs and resources out there to try things out. Um, But we will definitely include some of Christina's favorite recipes on the show notes. So be sure to check that out. And thank you so much, Christina. This was so amazing. I love talking to you, learning more about your health and your lifestyle changes. 
and would love for you to share how people can learn more about you, your storytelling, and how they can reach you. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been great to have this conversation. And thank you for starting a podcast like this. I think we need to have more conversations about the hidden things we're doing with every single day because everyone's got something. We're all struggling. And so hearing that can be so helpful and so supportive. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, the site is thenewquo.com. So that's T-H-E-N-E-W-Q-U-O.com. You can find me there. I write about storytelling, about values and beliefs and how to shift your narratives. Um, I also am a performer, so you can see information there about that. And you can also follow on Facebook. It's just facebook.com backslash the new quote. So hopefully I will see some, you know, hear from some of you guys and just share more of my insights about the stories we tell and shifting our stories in positive ways. Amazing. Thank you so much, Christina. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into Made Visible. We hope you learned about something new today. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes. We can't do this without your support. Visit madevisiblepodcast.com. Follow Made Visible Podcast on Instagram. Special thanks to the team who made this possible. Elise Bonebright, the audio editor. Gemma Leghorn, the assistant producer. Dylan Chenfeld for the intro music. And Krista Gray for the logo and design concepts.